Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this series that's designed to take you deeper and farther in your faith than ever before. We hope that this next series will be an encouragement to you wherever you are in your faith journey. We'd love to hear from each and every one of you. Will you take a moment to go to branchlife.church and click on this connection card? And if this series speaks to you, we'd love for you to share it on your social media anytime in any way. Just click the link or the share button on whatever platform you are watching. Hey, stay tuned to the end after this talk, and I'll see you then. All right, well, we are jumping right back into our series, uh, our team teaching series this summer called Next. It's based on this one-on-one -on -one curriculum that anybody can do with somebody that wants to grow deeper in their faith. And our goal is that you would be able to utilize this tool to help somebody know Jesus more and better. And uh, we want to work together as a church to do just that. Many of you are signing up on your card. You're interested in being discipled. You're interested in discipling someone else, mentoring, coaching, whatever word you want to use. Uh, but you don't have to wait for us. If you know someone, if you're ready to go, you can just go to the Small Circle website, grab all these materials, and start at it. And so today we're talking about one of those important conversations called baptism. Uh, we, we are, uh, the, everything that we're talking about is available online. And for some reason, my little clicker is not going forward. Probably me. So I'll just give you a verbal cue. If we could just go to the next slide. This is the curriculum. Small Circle is available online. It's also an app that you can download, and it's books that you can buy. Today, we're, we're jumping into what we talk about as the two ordinances of the church. And the two ordinances of the church are communion and baptism. We participated in the first one in a, just a little while ago. And the second one is baptism. These are the two ordinances, and we call them ordinances because it simply means instructed directly by Jesus for the church to participate in. So as long as Jesus has taught on this, people have been participating in these, these two ordinances. And today, specifically, we're covering the idea of baptism. Why is baptism such a big deal, right? Baptism is a massive deal. We often say it here at Branch Life. It's our baptism days are our favorite days. We love when someone takes this step of baptism. It's happening today, and we ask you to cheer. I wish you guys would bring foghorns and clap machines and foam fingers and all kinds of stuff. We should throw confetti cannons. Like, we love baptisms. Now, why? Why should I care about somebody getting all wet? Well, in Matthew chapter 28 in this passage, I think it just worked, so I skipped us ahead. In Matthew chapter 28 in this passage, Jesus is ascending up into heaven. He gives his final instructions. We say this all the time, and therefore he said to this, his disciples, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And he gave us two instructions in that sentence. He said, make disciples of all nations. We care about disciples all around the world, including here in our backyard, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, ever since Jesus said, go and baptize disciples, people have been getting wet. 
They've been getting dunked. They've been going, uh, they've been dunked in streams and in oceans and in pools and in ponds. It, we do it in a bathtub, in a hot tub. They do, have done it in troughs. There's all kinds of different ways. I saw a baptism in the Middle East. Now, the Middle East, if you get baptized, you are actually taking your life into your hands because you're publicly declaring that you're a Christian. And in some Muslim countries, that's a death sentence. There was one of these Muslim countries where they were setting up a baptism and they wanted it to be public, but they also didn't want everyone to die. And so what they did is they blew up in their house church, in the garage, one of those portable like kiddie pools that blows up and they, they got down only enough water to get someone all wet, right? And they, and, they, and they baptized so many people in that garage and that blow up kiddie pool. Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody go through that step? Well, because Jesus said... We have to participate in baptism. Now, everybody has a story. More specifically, every Christian has a story. We call it your testimony. We call it your witness. We, call, we just call it your story. About the time, about the moment when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you realized what the gospel says is true, that you're a sinner there's nothing you can do about your sin. You're impossible to forgive yourself. It's impossible to erase your sins. Only through the work of Jesus can your sins be forgiven. And specifically, Jesus' death and resurrection. Man, the resurrection is the key. And you knowing you're a sinner, believe in the name of Jesus for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You believe in the name of Jesus. You, you accept his sacrifice on your behalf as a payment for your sins. And in that moment when you accept Jesus, God, maybe you prayed, maybe you had a, a, a time of quietness, uh, maybe you realized in a church service or at a camp, maybe you were talking with a friend, maybe you just something that happened when you were all by yourself, but you realized you needed Jesus to save you, and you accepted Jesus in your heart, whatever that is, however that happens, Jesus then enters in in this moment of salvation and your life is eternally changed. The angels start cheering. Everyone has a story. One of my new favorite stories is Dot's story. We are, I'm so thrilled Dot's here today. It's been several months. She's had, she had congestive heart failure. She had to go to rehab. She's, she's still got complications from that and some health battles. And Dot still came out this morning to worship together with the church. That's awesome. We love you, Dot. So good to see you healthy again. Dot just got baptized. It's one of my favorite baptisms ever because of Dot's story. It's uniquely her story, and she tells her story of being saved at a, as a young girl participating. She was in a choir. She was singing a song, and she realized at that moment that the truth of that gospel song applied to her. Songs are powerful. She accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior and has been living her life to please him ever since, but never had taken the step of baptism for one reason or another. But her daughters got baptized, family members got baptized, and she realized that she wanted to take that step. Why? Why would Dot want to get baptized? Because Jesus said so. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dot, with, with her health, we, we, again, didn't want to put her health in danger, so we did what we made up, baptism by proxy. And Tyler got baptized on Dot's behalf while she was sitting there. You got to go back and watch the video, because this moment, oh, gets me every time. He's all wet. 
because he did the baptism thing. He leans in. She kisses him on the head and says, I love you. What a special moment. What a special story. Made possible because of obedience in Jesus. You see, every Christian has a story. And baptism is God's way of celebrating that story. Baptism is God's way of celebrating that story. It's a tangible thing. The thing about the ordinances, whether it's communion or baptism, is it's physical. It's elements. It's bread. It's water. Uh, it's, it's wine that you are, are partaking in. You can feel it. In baptism, it immerses you in the moment. Like It's something physical that happens. It's, a, it's symbolic, and it represents some important things that we're going to talk about in a moment. But it's God's way of saying, hey, I'm going public this, with this thing. It's our version of a parade for everyone who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's why we cheer. That's why we want to throw confetti. That's why it's a big deal. That's why all God's people should say amen. Now, church, Branch Life Church, I'm talking about you specifically. I've been in some other uh, worship settings over the last month because I've been doing some traveling. And I went to some other churches that are louder than us. They celebrate better than we do. And I think we need to fix that. I think we need to sing a little bit louder. I think we need to say amen and not care if anyone else hears us. I think we need to raise our hands a little bit higher. I think we need to clap when the Spirit's moving. Like, we, you have my permission to shout out during services. It actually is encouraging to me. It's not a distraction. Amen. All right, I got distracted. All right. No, you can say amen. You can say preach. You can say praise God. You can say uh, whatever you want to say. It's, it's celebrating the truth of God's word. Let's get loud about it. And we, we want to celebrate. Now, can you imagine how weird this looks to people? <laughs> Put yourself in the shoes of someone who has never heard the truth about baptism or Jesus. And then they, movies have been made about this. Oh, brother, where art thou, right? They're, they're, people are going, and then all of a sudden there's people coming to get baptized. And they're like, hey, what? What are they doing? Pastor Skip, uh, a guy named Pastor Skip talks about baptizing people in the Jordan River. They were over in Israel, and so they had a baptismal service. They were in a specific area. And there were a lot of tourists that came and were looking at the fence. And he was baptizing people. And the one tourist was like, what's happening? Like, that man is taking people and plunging them underwater. Is he letting them back up, right? And she was very concerned. And she saw it happen over and over again, and finally she waved to him. So Pastor Skip came up to her and, and said, hi, can I help you? And she was from South America. Her name was Olga, and she said, what are you doing? And he explained baptism. And it's, it's something that's, that's odd. And that's different if you're not used to it. It's uniquely for followers of Jesus. There's another story in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 8. And this story is about the first African ever saved. In Acts chapter 8, we learn about uh, the first African ever saved. The, the Acts is going to be awesome. Can I just put a plug? You need to start, be with us starting September 11th. We're jumping into a brand new book study. It's going to take us better part of a, a year and a little bit. We're going to go through the book of Acts. We're going to give you guys journals and all kinds of fun stuff at that kickoff. So Acts, it, it, the book of Acts, we're going to, so here's a little preview of one of the things that we're going to see in Acts. 
you're going to see the story of the first African ever saved. Because Acts is about the beginning of the church, the church spreading, disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And there was a movement afoot, not long after the day of Pentecost, where were people around the world starting to hear it. Because here's what happened. Jesus said, disciples go and make disciples, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, when he said that, People started baptizing them, and strange things started happening. One of the biggest baptisms right off the bat was at the day of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit came, and it came into all of those disciples who followed Jesus. You received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. That happens to all of us now. And, And the Holy Spirit moved mightily, and the apostles and the disciples went out. They started preaching, and they were preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. 3,000. Not too long after that, in, in, uh, in the 200s, 200 AD, so like a couple generations after the day of Pentecost, there was a guy named Furman. It's Spanish, so I'm not sure what the accent is that. Furman, who's now a patron saint of Spain, Furman got baptized on a day when, a, when a, a disciple had come, not one of the original 12 disciples, but someone who had followed Jesus, had come to their town, and the town's name was Papalonia. You may have heard this name before. And Furman's dad had accepted Jesus as Savior, and he was a senator, so he asked his disciple to come, and this disciple came, this follower of Jesus, came and preached the gospel. And in the 200s, in Papalonia, there were over three days, 40,000 people that got baptized, including Furman. Furman then becomes San Furman, Saint Furman, and he goes around and he, he baptizes people for the rest of his life. And guess what happens in Papalonia today because 40,000 people got baptized that day? Do you know what it is? It's a weird celebration. The running of the bulls. Did you know that the running of the bulls, you know, where they let six bulls run down the middle of the city and all these young men try, try to run without getting gored, is connected to baptism? It celebrates St. Furman, who got baptized with 40,000 other people in that city. That's why that celebration exists. It's lost that meaning and people don't know that that's connected anymore. And you think the running of the bulls is weird? What about dunking people underwater? We all got weird, weird ways of celebrating. In in, uh, 330 A.D., Christokinin, he baptized 3,000 soldiers in Constantinople. In 430 A.D., a guy by the name of Patrick... St. Patrick, to be specific, baptized the king, his son, the prince, and 12,000 men in one day. St. Patrick. St. Patrick is credited with baptizing in his lifetime 120,000 people. Oh, man. If only. Here's my life, Lord. 120,000 people. And these saints, uh, in 597, Augustine baptized 10,000 men who then turned around and baptized their wives and their children. This baptism thing has been spreading since Pentecost. Now, 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost, and you're going to see in the book of Acts, this happened over and over again, thousands here, thousands there, thousands there. And word started getting out, and so early in in the story of, of the church, People from other countries, other languages, were hearing about this, coming to Jerusalem, 
getting saved, and we know the story of the first African ever saved. In the Bible, he's called the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 8, and you'll see, you'll see his story. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south. Go down the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That's an interesting note. It's a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, first of all, Philip's mad because he is where the action is. Jerusalem, 3,000 people getting saved. People hearing the story of Jesus in their own languages. I'm going to stay there. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, get out of there. Come on, Holy Spirit. I want to stay. I want to see this incredible stuff happening. You know, he's sending them out. Sometimes God's going to send you and you're not going to like it. But you better go. The Holy Spirit sent Philip, and he starts traveling, and he runs into the Ethiopian eunuch, the first African ever saved. We understand from this passage that this is, is no, no, no ordinary African. This, this Ethiopian eunuch is powerful, one of the most powerful people in the country. And Ethiopia today is small, but back then it was like Egypt and Ethiopia. And the whole southern half of the continent was Ethiopian. It was like all of Africa. And when... when Philip goes south, he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch who had come up to Jerusalem because there's something happening there and he wants to figure out what it is. The Ethiopian eunuch had gotten a hold of scripture and he was reading it on his chariot ride home. Now don't think about himself in a small little chariot with a couple of horses. He's a rich guy. He's powerful. He's probably got like 12 men carrying him through the desert on one of these things on their shoulders, right? That kind of a chariot. He's got this whole entourage. And so, in verse 28, uh, and he was returning, seated on his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Spirit, come on now. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. You mean the guy on top of all those people's shoulders? Yes. Philip, go talk to that guy. Well, what if he kills me? Go talk to that guy. So Philip goes over. So the, he ran over to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Isn't that amazing? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand prayer? Do you understand the Bible? Do you understand your identity? Do you understand church? Do you understand all of what God is saying to you? That's, that's what disciple making is, helping people understand. And some of us say, I could never disciple someone. I can never help someone else grow in their faith. Listen, you know that stuff. It's pretty simple. It's pretty, just share it. Explain it. Tell your story. Disciples make disciples. It's what we're called to do. And he just asked this eunuch, he, he said, what, do you understand what you're saying? And the eunuch said in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? That's our role as Christians, to guide people. Through the power of the Spirit, he sends us with the message, with the words, with the truth of Jesus. How can they know unless someone preaches? How can they follow unless someone is an example? How can they hear unless someone speaks, right? How, how can I know unless I have a guide? We need guides in this world to show people the truth of Jesus. It's been your assignment since the day you received him as your personal savior. And he said to Philip, come up with, and sit with me. And 12 men went, oh my word. 
Philip climbs up into this entourage and he sits. And the passage of scripture he was reading says this, Like a sheep was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. We know now that was prophetic about Jesus being quiet before his judges. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This is where you get loud. He told him the good news about Jesus. Amen? He said, that's, that's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's talking about God on earth. That's talking about the guy that's going to change everything, and it can start by changing your heart and your life. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Philip says, I've seen him. I've felt him. I've walked with him. I've heard him. I've been baptized. I know this Jesus, and you can know him too. He shares Jesus with this Ethiopian eunuch, and they were going along the road, and where were they? The desert. And they were going along the road, and he said, see, here is water. Explanation point. What are the chances, right? And he sees the water, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? As he commanded the chariot to stop, and all the men said, thank you, Holy Spirit. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the, uh, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. What a story. What a story, punctuated by the celebrating moment of baptism. Philip wants to stay where the action is, but do you know that because Philip listened to the Holy Spirit... He went and he made one disciple. He, he left where 3,000 were getting baptized. He went and made one disciple of Jesus. And that one disciple goes into Ethiopia. And to this day, there is a rich history of people following Jesus because of that moment in Africa. Because there have been disciples and movements of God that have happened on that continent because Philip went into the desert. And he told someone about Jesus. And that someone got baptized and followed Jesus. He knew something was happening. And so we ask ourselves today, and when you sit down and you talk to someone about this or you're considering this for yourself, you first ask the question, well, what is baptism? Baptism is a celebration, man. It's a celebration. If you don't think baptism is a celebration, you've totally missed a very important story in Scripture. First of all, all who believe in the name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We celebrate that. You become a child of God, that's worth a party. We celebrate weird things here in America. We celebrate birthdays. It happens every year. I mean, come on. My mom's birthday was yesterday. When you see her, wish her happy birthday. I'm not allowed to say how old she is, but it's old. It's worth celebrating. Like, she made it this far. Like, that's awesome. But there's been a lot of them, 80-ish. Somewhere in there. We, we celebrate when people get more points in a game than other people. We celebrate it hard. Like when there's a championship, whether it's baseball or football or soccer, soccer around the world, they're nutso about. Or hockey, 
what happens back in the hometown? They throw a parade. A parade with ticker tape and millions of people coming to cheer to hear speeches on the steps. And they, they throw beer out, out in the audience and they, they run and they jump and they yell and they show the trophy and they kiss it. And everyone's like, oh my word, this is amazing. You won a game. Where do parades come from? Parades come from Rome, right? When Rome would conquer a whole nation by killing all their warriors, they would come back to the main city and they would parade down the city and everybody in Rome would go, yes, you've conquered other people. We won the war. We are victorious through murder and violence. And they would have this wonderful parade where everyone would, yeah, now that's what we do when we win the Super Bowl. Pretty amazing. But to celebrate the right to become a child of God, that should be the biggest celebration ever. When my neighbor becomes a family member, when you go from lost to found, dead to alive, let's celebrate that louder than anything. And we say, when, listen, this is when Jesus got baptized, right, Jesus himself got baptized in Luke 3.21, Jesus has a story, right? He's telling a story, and he goes to be obedient, baptized. John says, no, not, you should baptize me, and Jesus says, no, baptize me. And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, what happened? They were praying, and the heavens were opened. Can you imagine it? The heavens opened as these people were being baptized and Jesus was baptized. The clouds parted, the sunbeam came down, and then the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form, a bird, a dove. Jenny hates birds. She would have been terrified. God would have needed to send the Holy Spirit in some other comforting form, right? This bird comes, lands, it's the Holy Spirit, comes down three in one, then the voice of God says from the heavens that are open, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he doesn't just say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, that's my son. That's my boy. He has hit a home run. He, I am so, I'm proud of him. I love him so much so that I'm literally going to speak it from the heavens. And God doesn't do that that often. Celebration. Baptism is a public step of obedience. You obey when people who are in charge tell you to do something. If your boss tells you to do something and you don't do it, what happens? Fired. If your parents tell you to do something and you don't do it, what happens? Punished. Grounded. No more screen time. <gasps> if your coach tells you to do something and you don't do it, you're riding the bench. If a police officer tells you to do something and you don't do it, you're arrested. Right? God says, go and be baptized. Why would I do that? Because God said so. That's all I need, right? Well, 2 Timothy 1-2 says, I'm not ashamed because I know who I have believed. If you know Jesus, if you're following him, baptism is the least you can do. <laughs> Why are you embarrassed? You know Jesus. Why are you ashamed? Why are you anxious? Why are you nervous? You know God. He is in charge of everything. He's asked you to do it. It's going to be awesome. Go for it. I, I heard a, a, a guy named Ed Stetzler, who's a church guru guy, he asked on his Facebook page, give me stories of baptisms that went awry. 
And probably hundreds of stories of baptisms came in where they did not go so well. Like dunking people in a river and then the current takes them away. <laughs> You're like, well, that probably shouldn't do it. Dunking people in the ocean and the giantest wave comes and the pastor and the person gets baptized and swept ashore, right? Like those kinds of things happening. Don't wear a muumuu when you're getting baptized. So there's all kinds of stuff that happens in, in these baptismal pools. I remember uh, back when I was a youth pastor, we ran something about 10 years ago called a five-night frenzy. And at this five-night frenzy, uh, we had teenagers at the church every Friday, every night for five nights, and we put like this huge production on games and skits and music and the gospel. It was like camp packed into a couple of hours. And in the mornings, we would go around, do service projects, or go to the Phillies game or something like that. And these five-night frenzies were awesome. Teens would come out, and we saw lots of teens get saved. After one of the five-night frenzies, on the next Sunday morning, there was a, a dad that I remember it to this day, walked down the middle aisle after the service to me, and he had his teenagers in tow. And I'm like, I'm in trouble. We did something wrong. <laughs> like, he came to the service the next day. And the, the two teenagers were there, one college student, one high schooler, and uh, they, they came. The high schooler had been saved a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks before the five night. He was excited about connecting with the church. And the college age student had come to Christ at, just at Campus Crusade. And they both wanted to connect. To the, and the dad came out and he said, these are my kids. They are following Jesus. We want to get connected. That's awesome. They brought their middle school sister to youth group. And she got saved at a summer event called Creation. At a church service, their mom raised their hand for salvation, and I got to participate in their baptisms. I remember the college-age daughter, she got baptized, we baptized her in a river, uh, off creek of, uh, of, Brandy, of the Brandywine River. The, the, the teenager became a college student, and he graduated, and he came back, and he said he, it's finally time to get baptized. He's like six foot, I'm not, right? And we got in the baptismal pool, and I... I went to baptize him, and he was too close to the edge, and I cracked his head on the edge of the baptismal pool. It was hard and plastic, and I felt horrible, and I knew I hit it, and I, I wasn't going to pick him back up, so I shoved him down. <laughs> it's a little fun sometimes when someone tries to get up, and you're like, no, go down, right? And we brought him out, gave me a big hug. That young man is now the youth pastor at the church where I was the youth pastor. His sister is Becca Murphy, who helped us plant Branch Life Church and is now a pastor's wife in Lancaster, married to Corey. They celebrated their baptisms. They celebrated life change. Why? Because they're not ashamed. Not ashamed. And they came to faith in Jesus. If, if they can do it as kids, you can do it. If Doc can do it, you can do it. If you're not baptized yet, there's water outside. What's stopping you? Let's get this done. And baptized is, is being totally immersed. It's just a kind of a technical thing, and I'm going to answer a couple of quick questions here as we give you some of these details. Baptism just literally means to be immersed, and it's not necessarily talking about water. The Bible talks about baptism in several different ways, in several different contexts, and it simply means being immersed. Like Jesus said, he was going to be baptized in his suffering. And he told the two disciples that said, I want to be like you. I want to sit at your right and left hand. He said, how can you, can you drink the cup from which I, I drink? Remember, he was talking about his death and burial. Can you be baptized with the baptism I've been baptized with? Can you be immersed in the suffering that I've been immersed in? And this whenever something just totally overtakes you. You can say to kids today, you're baptized by that screen. 
You're totally, have you ever seen a kid that was immersed in the screen? You're like, earth to Johnny, earth to Johnny. And they're like, I don't know, you're even there. Like, like I literally called Will to dinner four times last night. Will, dinner. He's two feet away from me. Will, dinner. Will, dinner. Fine. Will, I said dinner. He goes, what, you did? I'm like, earth to Will. Baptized in the screen, totally immersed by it. That's simply what he talks about when he says be baptized in the water. Be totally immersed by it. And so we, we understand that, again, if the coach told me to run to first and I decided to walk to first, it's not the same thing, right? I'm supposed to do what he says, and he says to become totally immersed. It's simply what the word means. I have been baptized by the baptism which is there. So why do some people then sprinkle? Since the beginning of baptism, there's been historically tension with how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, what method to use. People still don't agree on this stuff. And so somewhere early on in Christendom, a couple hundred years after Jesus, people got concerned about what was called original sin. And so for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. So even when a baby is born, they're born sinners, right? And so they wanted to make sure that if a baby would die, that the baby would go to heaven. And so they, they applied sprinkling and baptism to babies. And somewhere that also then got applied to like adults. And it kind of, they said it stood for your covenant relationship with Jesus. And when they try to find scripture for it, they'll use things like 1 Corinthians 10, 20. And it says, all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud and into the sea. Well, they're like, look, see, baptized. And they didn't go underwater. They walked through the water and they must have gotten sprinkled. And so they say, that, look, there's other ways to be baptized. That's, that's, a, that's not a good use of scripture or interpretation. But you can understand why it goes that way. And church tradition gets involved. L- listen, it simply means immersion. There was a pastor's kid who wanted to make his cat a Southern Baptist. And so he grabbed the cat, and he took it into the bathroom, and the cat squirmed, and he turns on the bathtub, and he, he, he starts filling the bathtub, and he's going to baptize the cat so it can be Southern Baptist. And he, he goes in, he feels the water, and when he does that, he sprinkled the cat by accident. Well, that's it. The cat freaks out and gets away, because we know how cats are with water. He starts running down the hall, and the little kid yells to the cat, fine, be a Presbyterian. <laughs> what is the meaning of baptism? Baptism refers to the past. If you have your Bibles, quickly, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is, a, this is an interesting passage, and it can be easily tangled when it comes to baptism. Verse 18, for, also, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which we, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that's only eight persons, were brought safely through, baptism, which corresponds to this, or some versions say is an antitype to this, baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subject to him. We want to understand the meaning of baptism. We come to a passage like this, and it's easy to go, what? We're talking about Noah and the flood, and baptism saves you? That's not what the rest of the Bible says. And so what is, what is the meaning of baptism? Baptism refers to the past. In 1 Peter 3.20, it's talking about Noah. 
Well, what happened in the story of Noah? Well, Noah, Noah was the only one who was living a righteous life. And God was going to punish the whole world, so he's sending a flood. And he said to Noah and anyone who would receive him for salvation, you need to go through the door of the ark. It's the only door. It's the only way in and out. And anyone who enters through this door will be saved. And so he preached this message to the masses for years, for hundreds of years, but nobody but Noah and his family decided to go through the door. The animals went through the door. The birds went through the door. Noah and his family went through the door. And when judgment came, everybody else drowned except for the eight people. Baptism is referring to the past. It's showing you the past, that, that it recalls this principle from the past that the Messiah gathers his people through one way of salvation and raises them up from the water and they are saved like Noah and his family like Jesus who was buried died buried and rose again it refers to this principle when before Jesus came baptism was used by the Jews to have a ritualistic symbolism for anyone who wasn't a Jew who wanted to become a Jew. First they had to be circumcised, then they had to be baptized. And when they came out of the water, they were new. They were now completely in every way Jewish, no matter where they were born. And Jesus' baptism is recalling this principle that you're made new. So when John the Baptist was baptizing Jews and telling them they were a part of God's kingdom, that was an affront to what they believed because they were coming out of the water, no longer identified by a nationality, but identified by their relationship to Jesus, totally made new. It recalls that principle that you are now new with Christ. You are saved by the Messiah. One way to God is through Jesus. And it's through the washing and becoming a part of a new family made new with Jesus. Baptism symbolizes the resurrection power. The power to give new life a clear, and a clear conscience through the resurrection. He's not saying in 1 Peter that baptism saves you. He's, he's say, he specifically says it's not about the physical thing that happens. It's about what happens with your spirit. But because you have a clear conscience, because Jesus rose from the dead, that's what saves you. And this symbolizes that resurrection into new life. That's why baptism is so awesome. That's why it's so cool. And so what, what about infant baptism? Well, people will take passages in the Bible to say, hey, we, we need to covenant together, and, and as a whole family, we want to make sure our kids are dedicated to Christ and, and make sure that they're saved, and so they talk about that, and they look for examples in Scripture where the, the, the jailer and his family were baptized, and it's not necessarily talking about kids being baptized who didn't yet believe in Jesus. When you quickly look at, when you understand the meaning, this is something that someone has to do after they've been saved, after they believe. It's not baptism that saves you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. So why should I be baptized? First of all, imitation. Jesus was baptized, you should do it too. Do you wear a what would Jesus do bracelet? He would get baptized after he got saved. Instruction. I need to obey him. I need to be baptized. And identification. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Whereas you were buried, therefore with, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 through 4. So does baptism save you? The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And some people say, oh, you have to repent and be baptized to be forgiven. 
But this word for in the original language carries meaning. That, that, that does for us too with multiple invocations. If I was going to give a general a star for great outstanding service, would he, be, would he be getting the outstanding service because he's getting the star? No, he's getting the star because of his outstanding service. It's not for, it's because. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, because of the forgiveness of your sins. And most modern translations take that into account when they translate this picture. Some people see these, a couple passages where they and they start connecting baptism to salvation, where broadly the Bible says you cannot work to be saved, where broadly the Bible says you must repent at for, for, to have faith in Jesus, where there's example after example of people who followed Jesus and were never baptized yet still went to heaven. One of them was on the cross. And the thief right next to Jesus says, remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus says, I would, but you can't get baptized. No. He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You see, your faith saves you. Baptism symbolizes your connection with Jesus, and it, it is a public celebration of who he is. So you don't, have, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but you have to be saved to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but you have to be saved to be baptized. It clears it up for us. If you put your faith in Jesus, your next step of obedience is baptism, and it's going to be an awesome celebration. As we close, I want to remind you what this series is for. We want to get back to the basics. We want to just talk about the basic things of Christianity so we're all clear on it, so we understand it and we agree on it. We want to prepare you to teach others. You can explain this to someone as you go and make disciples. You can use this curriculum. You, you can... Just go through the Bible together. You can be a part of a small group. You can do life together. But it, teach others what it means to pray and what it means to be baptized. And we want to encourage you in your discipleship relationships because two are better than one. And here at Branch Life Church, we celebrate when disciples make disciples. Last week, didn't Alex do a great job challenging us to share our faith? I was going to shoot a bow and arrow today, and Alex said, don't you dare. And he, he said, you need to share your faith. And one, even cooler than your baptism is when you get to stand next to a friend who's getting baptized. Amen? And my dream for Branch Life Church is that every single one of us regularly participates in the baptisms of those that we've led to Jesus. Of those that we've prayed for. For those that we've been calling our one. For those that come to know Jesus as personal Savior. And it's happening. It's happening. People are standing with loved ones, with neighbors, with friends who, who are getting saved and they're getting baptized and they're bringing them up. That's why I prefer not to be the one baptizing. I'd rather you do it if you're connected there. Maybe it's your son or daughter and you get to baptize them. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker and you get to baptize them. You get to celebrate when you've shared Jesus and God has radically saved them. Now you can participate in their baptism. Let's see that happen all over and over and over again at Branch Life Church. That's our prayer. And we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. May it be so. Amen? May we all stand next to those that we've impacted in the name of Jesus for eternal life change when they get baptized. So who's your one? Who are you praying for? Who are you hoping to stand next to someday soon?
We have these bookmarks down on the table. Grab them. Put the name on it. Put the name on the connection card and let us know. And let's celebrate baptism together. I love the order we did this in. Let's share, right? And then let's help them get baptized. Let's talk to people about it. How awesome it is. God and Heavenly Father, as we look at these stories of baptism, we celebrate even now. We love to celebrate baptisms. Here's a couple of stories. I'm Matt Hennessy, and I, uh, I got connected to Branch Life just by searching on Google. Um, my wife and I were searching for a church nearby that we really felt like our home church, and we found Branch Life uh, about three months ago. And I grew up with an understanding that there was a God, but I, I didn't really know what it meant to follow God, and I didn't know um, what a journey with Jesus looked like at all. And I met my now wife, Leah, um, in freshman year of high school, and I instantly fell in love and we developed an incredible relationship. She brought me shortly after to her youth group and then to our church. And honestly, really shortly after that, uh, at 15 years old, I, I realized that I wanted to follow Jesus and I accepted Jesus into my life. Um, and I began growing my faith and, and we, we grew our faith together. But then as I got older, um, I started to, um, not develop healthy coping uh, mechanisms, and uh, particularly addiction. I had various addictions, um, and some of them prettier than others. Um, but the, the addiction that brought me and us the most pain, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, alcohol. And I remember being there, um, seeing her bawling her eyes out, and me down on my knees, and crying out to God, I need you. I need you in my life. And that was, that was the moment I really put my faith in Christ. And since then, God, God really has changed my life. Um, I, I was so depressed then, and I truly wake up every day with joy and peace. And I, I still struggle with addiction. Um, it is still something that I'm trying to overcome. Um, but even just recently, God has truly given me the ability to be honest and be open with the people around me about the really hard things that I try to hide, um, that addiction tries to hide. I have a, an accountability partner um, who's a mentor and a great friend supporting me in my baptism. And I actually have a, a wonderful coworker um, who has shared a lot of her faith with me. Um, and I have some great friends that are, are here to support me in my baptism. branch probably about two years ago just through an um, Instagram ad and I was just at a point where I wasn't really connected to a church and you know we all just decided as a family like why not what the heck try it out we had been trying so many churches and we were just we found branch there just seemed to be something different and wanted to keep going there and finding out more so I became a Christian when I was about seven years old and it was mostly just in a situation where I was uh, kind of afraid of dying you know I was afraid of what would happen afterwards as you know when I became a Christian there was an earthquake that day and me being seven I had no idea what was going on I just feared I'm gonna die and where am I gonna end up I don't know and I became a Christian that day and I felt safe and 
figured out where I was going to be going. But at that time in my life, I really didn't understand the in-depth of what relationship with Jesus meant. As you know, I'm stepping out as an adult now and figuring out where God is leading me and baptism is a great way of stepping out with your faith and showing to everyone that this is who I am and this is, I'm following Jesus. And you know, one of my favorite quotes from a, from a lady that I read her book, of her story journal, which was Corey Ten Boom, was, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And that just, that inspires me. I just, for, I'm really thankful for just the youth group at Branch. You know, that was something I was almost hesitant to go to at first. And I'm thankful that I did because they just really have all helped me, you know, want to, to grow deeper in my, you know, in my faith with Jesus, you know, whether it's the, the young adults and the leaders there, to just even even the t even the kids, even the young middle schoolers, just seeing them, you know, talk about Jesus and be you know there to learn, just something that inspires me. You know, I wanna I wanna be an example for them, and it's just great to you know have the, all the youth leaders there just to to be there to support me and help me. And I'm just very thankful for having. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hey, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you can take some of the things that we talked about and use them in your spiritual journey. And again, if this has been an encouragement to you, go ahead and share it online. Don't forget before you leave to go to branchlife.church and fill out your connection card. We'd love to hear from you, particularly if you took a step of faith today. We'd love to know that. You can do that all on this connection card online. We hope you'll join us for the next episode as we talk about the next step that'll take you deeper in your faith. Have a great rest of your day.